Lord God, we thank you for this Sabbath. And we thank you for this chance that we have to gather and to worship and to sing your praises and to learn of you. And now as we talk about being fortified in you, may you guide us. May you fill our hearts. May you give us wisdom and knowledge. Knowledge of your grace and your mercy. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Now in just a couple weeks... There's going to be groups of students from our church, from our school, and from around our conference going on various mission trips. Anybody here who's going on a mission trip, just raise your hand up. That is completely awesome. Totally awesome. Be sure you're here next week because we'll have a dedication prayer for everybody. It's going to be a closed weekend, so everyone's going to be here. But it's a fun, exciting time to go on a mission trip. Now, I want to know who's ever been on a mission trip. Even short-term, long-term, going to a different foreign country. Well, when I was a senior in high school, back in the day, it was Comeagua, Honduras. We built a school there in Comeagua with Auburn Adventist Academy. Now, bonus point, if you can find Pastor John in the picture up there. Guy with the hat and sunglasses on top of the hat. That'd be me. Notice I'm covering up my hair that I do have at that time. But this was a fun time with friends, building a school, interacting with foreigners, with with a foreign country, and it was different. It was actually out of our comfort zone to go to a foreign country. But going on a mission trip is an amazing experience because it opens your eyes to the rest of the world. The world is consisted of billions and billions of people Other people except one, you. But then when you look at the rest of the world, it opens your eyes. Different culture, different food, different language. Even though I had already spent almost two years of high school Spanish, all I could still say was, Me llamo Juan. ¿Dónde está el baño? El queso es viejo. Hola. So it was a different language as well. And we, it was a lot of fun experiencing that. I don't know how many times you have been in a different situation, an uncomfortable situation that you're not used to, something that you're uncomfortable with that's outside of your bubble, your comfort zone. Maybe it's not going just to a foreign country. Going with a group of friends to a foreign country isn't terribly uncomfortable because you have people that you know. But going by yourself or getting lost in a foreign country. That can be frightening. Maybe it's just meeting someone, someone new for the first time. That could be frightening. Maybe it's public speaking. Being afraid of that. It's out of our comfort zone. It's not natural. Well, God calls us to something that is not natural. A level of spirituality that is not normal and not natural for us as human beings to give. In Leviticus chapter 19, verses 1 and 2, the Lord spoke to Moses and he said, Speak to all the congregation of the people of Israel and say to them, You shall be holy, for I, the Lord your God, am holy. That's not natural for us to give. Holiness. In the New Testament, Peter 
mentions the same verse, but he adds to it as well. And he says, as obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. But as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Since it is written, you shall be holy for I am holy. This is something that is not natural for sinful human beings to be holy. Why is it not natural? It's because the Bible calls all of our righteous deeds as filthy rags. All of our attempts at being holy on our own is not good enough. And the, and the problem is, it's almost like a catch-22. We're bound by sin. And in a moment of unguarded action, we make a decision, we make a choice, and we're overcome by the power of evil. And even though that moment may have been just an instant, it takes years that can break those chains of the power of evil. If holiness was natural, why would God call us to be holy? Why would it be something that God's asking us to strive for, the target, the aim to be, if it were natural? We're in the second segment of our Fortified series, aren't we? A couple of weeks ago, back in Home Leave, we started Fortified, talking about being in the Word of God, diving deep and digesting the depths of the Word of God. We're talking about how our hearts are to be fortified, because the coming of the end of the world is upon us. And so we need to be ready at any time to stand for Jesus. And to stand for the right. And so as we're talking about being fortified, we talked about being in the word of God. Now we're talking about our need of holiness because a holy God calls us to be holy. About a year ago, I was helplessly stuck in our family minivan in the snow. Anybody ever been stuck in the snow? I was out doing some pastoral visits and it was in the evening And I got stuck in the person's driveway while I was trying to go visit with them. That wasn't a lot of fun. After making a few phone calls, finally got a hold of Mr. Dakota Purvis. Good guy. He recently had just purchased a new-to-him Toyota Tacoma. And he said, yeah, I'll come on and help you out. I got a winch. I'll pull you right out. I said, awesome, thank you. And he was my lifesaver. I saw him coming down the road. I said, Dakota's here. Hooked up the winch to the back of the minivan, started it up. Nothing happening. We're like, what's going on? We unhook it, start up the winch again, pull it in. The winch will pull itself in, but it doesn't have much torque, not much strength there to pull the van out of the snow. He was... Finally, he was able to get me out by putting a toe strap and pulling me out. And actually, he got stuck too, so we had to call his dad, Tony. And we had Tony pulling two of us out with his Land Cruiser. Quite exciting. Come to find out later, Dakota said, you know what? I went back and I looked at the winch, took it all apart. The end of the cable was improperly attached. It was incomplete. It was not completely attached to the spindle on the inside of the winch. So it was the, the spindle was just spinning, but it was not attached to the cable. It was an incomplete contraption. I am so thankful 
that Jesus is a complete Savior. Fully complete Savior. He's got the winch completely attached, and he can pull us out of whatever trouble we might be in because Jesus not only saves us, he also sanctifies us. More than just take away the guilt of our sin, he breaks its power. He will shatter the power of those chains of sin that the, the, the sin may have upon us, and he fully rescues us completely from that power of sin. Pastor Kevin DeYoung wrote a book called The Hole in Our Holiness. There's a blog article as well that he writes, and you'll find it there on your Bible app. You can also follow along on the paper outline that I put in the worship bulletin this morning. But he says that my fear on this blog that he wrote, he says, my fear is that we rightly, as we, as we rightly celebrate and in some quarters rediscover all that Christ saved us from, what has Christ saved us from? Power of sin. He has saved us from our filthiness and sin, from our stubbornness and sin. So he says, my fear is that as we have discovered all that Christ has saved us from, we will give little thought and make little effort concerning all that Christ saved us to. So Christ has saved us from our sins. Praise God. What is he saving us to? He's saving us to sanctify us, right? To make us holy. To make us following him and act like him and being like him. So why has he sanctified us? So that we can say, hey, I'm holy. I don't dance. Does he sanctify us so that we don't swim on Sabbath? Or so that we don't eat meat? Does he sanctify us so that we don't go to the theater? Does he sanctify us so that we don't, you know, fill in the blank? My friends, holiness is not a checklist. It's not doing, making sure that we are doing these right things and not doing these wrong things. It's not abstaining from some taboo activity because that makes it too easy. All right, I know, I'm not doing this. Got it covered. I'm holy, I'm righteous, I'm saved. Oh, sorry about you. You're not doing the things that uh, the checklist says you need to do, so you may not be saved. Again, Pastor Kevin says in his book, this time, page 34, The Hole in Our Holiness, he says it's all too easy to turn the fight of faith into sanctification by checklist. Take care of a few bad habits, develop a couple good ones, and you're set. But a moral checklist doesn't take into consideration the idols of the heart. It may not even have the gospel as part of the equation. And inevitably, checklist spirituality is highly selective. So you end up feeling successful at sanctification because you stayed away from drugs, lost weight, served at the soup kitchen, and renounced styrofoam, but you've ignored gentleness, humility, joy, and sexual purity. 
Holiness is not a checklist. Because it's too easy just to say, look, I've done it. Christ did not save us so that we could check off a list. Holiness is not about expecting perfection from ourselves or from other people. But you could fall on the other side of the ditch too because holiness is not cheap grace. What I mean by cheap grace is that we, 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 we say, all you need is Jesus. Believe in Jesus. That's all you need. You don't need to do anything else. Believe in Jesus. And there is some truth to that, okay? But what about the book of James that says, our belief, which is our faith, without works is what? It's dead. And so if we fall on this side of the ditch and we have cheap grace, we downplay verses in the Bible such as these. Philippians 2 verse, 1, where, 2, verse 12 where it says, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Okay, work it out. 2 Corinthians 7, 1. Clean, we are to cleanse ourselves from every defilement of body and spirit. We downplay verses like Ephesians 5, 3, where he says, sexual immorality and all impurity or covetousness must not even be named among you as is proper among the saints. We downplay other verses such as Psalm 66, 18, where David says, if I had cherished sin in my heart, the Lord would not have heard. He would not have listened We even get confused sometimes when we see what Ellen White says in Steps of Christ. What we do not overcome will overcome us and work to our destruction. And we downplay those. And we say, well, you need Jesus. Yeah, you need Jesus. And the reason why I believe we downplay some of these is that we are fearful that we are going to preach a righteousness by works. But the reason is, but, but, but the thing is, the Bible says this, so how do we deal with it? We are not saved by our works, but because we are saved, we are to cleanse ourselves. We are to overcome as Christ has overcome. We are to relinquish the sin within our hearts. Maybe sometimes we also fear that we're going to push people away by giving them requirements. Yes, you can believe in Jesus, but you've got to do this and this and this. And so we make holiness cheap grace. But my friends, it is not righteousness by works, nor is holiness cheap grace. If we get the wrong picture of what God is expecting from us, we're going to give up all too easily. And we're going to say, that holiness stuff, I can't be perfect. I'm never going to be perfect, Swami. I'm not even going to try. But God's not expecting perfection. So before we throw in the towel, let's talk about what is holiness. What does God mean when he says, be holy as I am holy? Leviticus chapter 20, verse 26. God says, you are to be holy to me because I, the Lord, am holy. Okay, we've talked about that. But then he goes on, he says, and I have set you apart from the nations to be my own. Holiness is not entirely something that we do. 
Do you see what God does? He sets us apart. It is God who is doing the setting apart, not us who is working on the checklist to be perfect. Holiness is being set apart. So for something to be holy, it has been set apart as different. Think about the story of Moses and the burning bush. All right? When, God, when Moses saw the burning bush there in the wilderness, burning and didn't burn up, he goes, he's curious, he goes in front of it, and he hears the voice of God says, Moses, take off your sandals for the ground which you stand is holy ground. So Moses takes off his sandals, and he bows before the Lord as, as, as humble. Now, as soon as the Lord leaves that place and, and finishes instructing Moses on how to rescue the Israelites, as soon as God leaves his presence from that place, and one of Moses' little lambs or sheep walk across that holy ground, is that lamb going to be struck down because he has not taken the sandals off of his hooves? He's not. Because the presence of God has now moved on. He has not set that piece of ground aside anymore as holy. Think of the temple in the New Testament time. When Jesus died on the cross, what happened to the curtain in the temple? It was torn in two. People could see right into the most holy place where the presence of God should have been. His presence had already left by this time. Was the temple then technically holy anymore? It really wasn't because the presence of God had moved on. Think of the Old Testament times when the temple was erected and established. There was a holy place and a most holy place. And who could go into the most holy place? The high priest. How many times a year? One time a year. If anyone else went into the most holy place, what was going to happen to them? Right? Now, in the Old Testament times, the temple was a... They were a nomads. They were nomadic tribes. They were moved on from place to place to place. They rolled up the tent. They took the temple. They took the tabernacle. And that holy ground of the holy place, again, if a goat walked across that or an Israelite walked across that, would they be struck down? Everybody do this. No. Because that was no longer set apart as holy. So God sets his people apart as different from the nations. He is the one that is doing the setting apart to make us holy. Is that some good news? That he's the one that's doing it? Now, why, is, why has God set us apart, right? To do what? First Peter 2.9. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a what nation? A holy nation a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. So God is setting us apart as holy because he is holy so that we then may proclaim his excellencies, his character, his love, his mercy, his grace, so that we may be witnesses to him. I'd like you to turn your Bibles to Titus chapter 2. 
is our call to worship this morning. If you're on your mobile device, that's great. I'm using a paper Bible up here. I'm old-fashioned right now. But that's a good thing. But in Titus chapter 2, if you're having trouble finding it, it's a little tiny book in the New Testament. Only three chapters, but it's back near all the T's. If you find Thessalonians or Timothy, Titus is right there after that. Little book in the old in the New Testament. But Titus chapter 2, I'm going to be reading from the English Standard Version. Titus shares with us the results of acting upon God's grace or proclaiming his excellent mercies or, or taking in his grace. Titus chapter 2, verse 11. For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people. Praise God, he is a, that, he's that complete, total Savior. The grace of God. Who's the grace of God? Who has appeared, bringing salvation? It's Jesus, right? And salvation, is it free? Grace is free. Salvation is free. Have you done anything to earn that salvation? No. So this is free grace, not cheap grace like we talked about a moment ago. Free grace. And when something is free, we value it because we put importance on it. Take, for example, free parking, downtown Spokane. Free parking. Wouldn't that be great? So someone offers free parking in downtown Spokane. I'm there. I'm going to take the free parking. But if it's three miles away from where I really need to go, do I value that it's free parking? No. It doesn't, it's, not, it's worth nothing to me. What if I say, all right, everybody, Everyone in here gets a free mobile phone. How many takers do I have? Raise your hand if you have a taker. Free mobile phone? Free mobile phone? Awesome. Awesome. Okay. It's a free brick phone from the 1980s. How about that? You can make any phone call that you want away from your house. I mean, it looks so cool. Look at that guy holding up to his ear like a chunk of bricks. All right, free mobile phone, right? Do you value that mobile phone? No, you really don't, do you? you put, they're, they're, you're not putting any importance into it. So you're like, a brick phone, that's retro, okay, throw it away. But if I said a free smartphone, how many would be takers? Okay, we'd have a lot more takers, right? Free doesn't always hold a lot of value unless we put value in it. Free literature. I did MAGA books, literature, door-to-door literature for five summers. We would give away hundreds of thousands of free books. I don't know how many of those free books ended up in the circle file. Trash can, right? Because they didn't put any value in it. But if you pay for the book, you've already put some value into it. God has given us free grace. Do we value that free grace? We haven't done anything to earn it. It cost us nothing, yet we don't deserve it. But he's still given it to us freely. As we realize the value of that free grace that he's given us, it motivates us to holiness. 
19th century Baptist preacher, Charles Spurgeon, says that the most potent motive for holiness is free grace. Because when we realize how much we have been given, how it's free, we don't have to do anything to earn it, we in turn want to do something for Jesus. So, Timoth- so Titus, Paul's talking to Titus, and as God's grace has appeared, it trains us to do three things. If you're following along on the Bible app, you can take notes, fill in some blanks on the paper outline. Trains us to do three things. Number one, verse 12 says, The grace of God has appeared. Train us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions. So we are to renounce. We are renouncing ungodliness and worldly passions. We are no longer abiding by those rules. We're saying we aren't playing there anymore. We're renouncing that. We're not engaging in that anymore. We're abhorring that sin, that enmity between us and Satan, which God has placed in there and created in us. We're no longer living unlike Christ. It's kind of a double negative. My math people, a double, a double negative, I don't know, what is it, times a double, a negative times a negative is a positive. Thank you, my math people. Okay, good. So it's like a double negative. So we're, we're announcing, saying that we're no longer living unlike God. So if we want to turn that into a positive, we say, we will now live like God. Which would be number two. So we renounce the ungodliness and worldly passions, and we are going to then live a self-controlled, upright, and godly life in this present age. So we're making a commitment to live differently. Kind of like what Paul says in Romans chapter 6 about the old man of sin. We have died to that old man of sin. We are now living through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. So we make that commitment to live as Jesus lived. In humility. To think of others. To have integrity. To be true to our word. Living self-controlled, upright, and godly lives. And then verse 13, Titus chapter 2, Paul says, We are then to be waiting for our blessed hope. The appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works. Notice that God is desiring to purify us. And he is the one who is purifying us. Making us zealous for good works. But in the meantime, what are we to do? We are to patiently Wait. Patiently wait. And we're waiting for the grace of God to train us, to work with us, to conform our hearts, to change our hearts, to make us holy. It's the opposite of being impatient. That is to be patient. Because the problem is when we become impatient and we take control, we become our own God. And we say, I'm going to have it my way. Not your way. But I want it my way. My friends, this is holiness, isn't it? It is. I I don't want you to think of this as a checklist. I know there's there's three things up here. It's not a checklist, okay? (laughs) But this is patiently waiting for God's grace to work in our lives. To change our lives. And we expect change 
pretty quick. We live in a microwave society where if we don't have dinner in two minutes or less, we're ravenous. We're impatient. We expect holiness immediately, but this doesn't happen overnight. It takes time. We're not to take our spiritual temperature every single day, but, we're supposed to, but we can look at our progress over years, months and years, and we can see if we're asking the questions, do I desire to follow Christ? Where is my heart? Am I wanting to be like Christ? And I'm wanting to follow after him. And it's not just shifting into neutral and letting God do all the work because we have a part to play. Each of us have a personal battle to fight. My battle is different than your battle. Your battle is different than the person next to you in the pew. We each have a personal battle to fight. But God's not going to make us holy unless we are willing to cooperate with him to be holy. Each summer, my family takes a road trip to Oregon. Short road trip. But we go to the beach on the Oregon coast. Something that we love to love to do every summer. Inevitably, with young children and with adults, you've always got to stop at a rest area. And at the rest area, they got that nice little portico and it has a map on it and on that map it has a big arrow or a big star or something that says you are here and sometimes I get discouraged when I look at where I'm at because I don't want to be here I want to be on the beach I want to be at the vacation house it is encouraging though to see how far we've come from home to where we are. But I want to be there. Holiness is not so much about where we are, but about where we're going. It's about focusing on what Jesus has been doing in our lives and looking to what he has in store for us for the future. The song we used to sing, I haven't heard it sung quite often, but I've asked the music team to lead out in this song today. It's called Holiness. It's what I long for. It's what I need. It's what you want from me. So take my heart, form it. Take my mind, transform it. Take my will, conform it to yours, oh Lord. So I've asked the music team to come on up. Got some words on the screen. I think we changed the holiness word to brokenness or righteousness as well. Oh, look. There it is. Faithfulness and brokenness. So we only have one slide up here, but there's the words. They're pretty short, pretty easy words. Sing along with our music team.
what you want from me. What you want from me? Holiness. Is it something you long for? Think about in your life small changes. What can you do to partner with God? He's doing his part. We need to be patient. Any small, think about this week, some small changes of how you can partner with God to become holy. Let's pray together. Father God, as we have looked at a very important subject in your scriptures this morning, it's our desire. It's our heart's longing to go to the beach, to be home with you. And so as we're looking forward to that day of your glorious return, fortify our hearts, fortify our minds. Help us to choose to follow you. And as you are making those heart changes, help us to be patient. Help us to not look down on ourselves and be too hard on, us, on ourselves or those around us. But help us to recognize what you are doing and may we come along with you in cooperation. Go with us this day and guide us. In Jesus' name, amen.